everybody. Welcome to the I Am A Woman podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Strickland, and I'm super excited to be tackling some tough subjects today with Pamela Garfield Yeager, and she is a licensed clinical social worker with over 20 years of experience. She's worked in a variety of settings, including New York community-based agencies, residential programs for foster youth, schools, and mental health clinics in California. She's been a clinical supervisor for up-and-coming up and coming therapist for 10 years. And in 2017, she had to leave her profession due to a severe disability. And when she returned, so much in the mental health profession had changed, particularly when it comes to treatment for gender dysphoric patients. In the teen clinic she was at in San Mateo County, California in 2021, half the girls identified as trans. Since she has been in the field with vulnerable youth for over 20 years, this was a drastic change. Pamela has spoken to many therapists who agree that instant affirmation of young people with complex mental health issues is inappropriate. However, they're being heavily silenced, which is what we're going to talk about today. Because Pamela continues to cope with chronic pain and receives disability, she's been emboldened to speak out on these issues and build her own program. Pamela took her 20 years of experience and built a comprehensive online parents guide to mental health with the tagline, Therapy Not Indoctrination. Since so many families need mental health support, Pamela's vision is to provide information for parents so they're empowered to know what to expect, the questions to ask a therapist, understand what skilled therapy looks like, how much they should be involved. The answer to that is a lot. And how information on numerous current mental health topics is being twisted by the media. I want to welcome Pamela Garfield Yeager. She is an incredible woman, and I'm so excited to have you on the show, Pamela. Yeah, I have an interesting story. So I was, I've been a licensed clinical social worker for over 20 years. I've worked in all kinds of settings, mostly with teens. Uh, the last couple of years or over 10 years, I was working in schools. And then I was working in an IOP program, which is a group therapy program. And then I had to quit because of a physical disability in 2016, the end of 2016, early 2017. And that was really, I think, when things really shifted. So I was kind of off of my profession. I wasn't there watching things really, I guess, get more radicalized. And then I came back in 2021 after two major surgeries and saw what a shock it was. And I just couldn't believe it. I In 2020, honestly, I had kind of woken up to a lot of the, the changes in our culture the BLM riots and all the black squares and the policing of language in general and the discussion of dividing people by race was much more prominent. So I had woken up to a lot of those things already and noticed that was really infected in my profession and mental health Mm. more at that point. That was really my big wake up call. And then when I got back to work in 2021, when I finally got a job after the lockdowns, I saw it in person. And what I saw was Basically, half the girls in this program for mentally ill teenagers were identifying as transgender or non-binary. And I was shocked by not just that, but I was shocked by how my colleagues were responding to them. 
which mm-hmm. was to just affirm them, not ask any questions and really just tiptoe around the topic and tiptoe around the pronouns. And that was strange to me because I've always worked with you know, kind of teens that have issues that are testing boundaries, that are testing limits, that are struggling. And I've wor- worked with colleagues that challenge them, right? And talk to them about what's really going on, talk to them about what they're doing and why they're having trouble listening to authority or what, you know, what's really going on for them. And this wasn't happening anymore. Now it was like the kids would just say they had a different pronoun and the adults would just shut up. And I just was really shocked at that, how scared the adults were around this topic. I didn't, I wasn't aware of how silenced everyone was. Mm. And then, and then I, so I only worked there about six, seven months. And unfortunately I was not allowed to work there anymore due to the California state vaccine mandate. And I made a medical decision to not get it. <laughs> and so yeah. I I left. Me too. And yeah. <laughs> I, I still honestly get some disability. I can't work a full-time job because I still have chronic nerve pain. The mm-hmm. disability that I had was a repetitive stress injury from possibly it was something I was born with or, and also it was from being at a poor ergonomic desk. And so I have nerve damage from what I went through and the surgeries that I had. So I can't actually work a full-time job. So what this did was my, in a way, my disability was kind of a blessing. It emboldened me to speak out because I had less to lose. I basically lost everything because I had to go away due to disability, I can't work, I can't get back to the capacity I used to work at as a supervisor working full time. So I realized, okay, this is going to be my role in society. I'm going to speak out and I'm going to educate parents on what is appropriate mental health care. I'm going to tell them some of the things that therapists are learning that are inappropriate now so they can question authority and question experts so that they don't blindly trust experts and really also help empower other therapists who are like-minded to speak out and not be afraid to say what they believe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so good. That's so good. And I mean, I don't want to skip over just the fact that you lost your job because you didn't want to take an experimental vaccine. And that was such a personal choice on all of our parts. And so I do think that that was part of peeling back the deceit of what was happening in the media, uh, that people were being told what was the right way to handle a situation that we couldn't choose for ourselves. And I think that it seems like the same thing really happened with therapists. So my, my, uh, breadth of experience is in eating disorders. And I know that underlying an eating disorder or poor self-image is often a story of abuse or deep need for affirmation. Uh, There's always something underneath it, whether it's a terrible breakup in that person's life, an abortion, something that the person is struggling with to either get affirmation or to have control. Now, obviously, a girl's not going to come into a therapy office who has an eating disorder and you're you're not going to affirm that she should be throwing up or she should be starving herself. 
or affirm the lie that she's fat or that she's worthless, right? That she's unlovable, all those things that young girls believe. So what happens now? Okay, tell, do a compare and contrast for me with this affirmation therapy that is mandated among therapists. What does that look like? And then what is a healthy therapy model for girls who are struggling with their gender identity? Well, here I'm in California. So here in California, it is illegal to do what would I would consider just normal therapy, which is exploring someone's issues, figuring out what's happening for them and address those issues, address the underlying issues, look at them as a whole person, right? I mean, sure. seems like common sense and common sense to, I think, everyone across the political aisle before this kind of took hold. But now if you behave that way as a therapist, you're considered a conversion therapist here in California. They have a law that therapists are not allowed to do exploratory therapy if gender is on the table because they don't want to, quote unquote, convert them out of being transgender because they're looking at transgender as an immutable characteristic, similar to how most people view most gay people where they're born with that tendency. So I, so they're trying to conflate transgender with a with being gay. So basically like they're trying to say trans is the new gay. And I disagree with that. So that's what's happening. I forgot all you know, now just, I know this is a controversial topic and I think everybody has to determine for themselves based on their own experience, what, uh, what they believe and each person is individual, but in our ministry, I have seen a lot of girls that have same sex attraction um, that were often exposed to online, you know, pornography or sexually abused by a sister or exposed to something, babysitter, um, that got into same sex attraction, but wanted to get out of it. And, and really, um, through, through counseling and therapy, they have chosen not not to live that life. So I think my personal opinion, I don't know, I want to hear yours, is that it seems like not all gay people are necessarily born gay, that there are some that choose it based upon exposure to trauma or abuse, and that some um, some live their whole lives, uh, feeling like they're same sex attracted. What is wrong with a therapist looking at the underlying causes of their struggle? Because if, if they want to change it, or if they're struggling and they feel shamed by it, what's underneath that? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually I'm, I'm on the same page with you and it is controversial to say these things, but you have to think about the different situations because I believe there are some people who I think are innately gay or like they just have more of that tendency. And it's not sure. a result of trauma or a result of being inundated by images online and such. But I do believe there are people that have gone through trauma or like a perhaps like an abusive marriage or something like that. And then they choose not to be around men. Like, you know, a lot of women do that. They're like, no, no, I'm, I'm done with men. Right. And, right. and it's not because they were born that way. It's, it's now become a choice. And I'm honestly, I'm not against that, but if someone is, um, 
trying to work through that, like work through their fear of men, perhaps. So sure. that's something that I think it is okay to work through in therapy. And it, it's not anti-gay. It's just means you're working with that individual. I mean, we're just working with people in their specific situations. So I think we're actually on the same page with that. And I think we just need to look at people more as individuals and stop placing them in groups and start automatically assuming just because we're helping an individual with a certain situation, it doesn't mean we're anti anything. Really. That Absolutely. You're right. It, absolutely. It has nothing to do with being against gay people or against trans people or anything like that. It has to do with wanting to help these girls, <laughs> wanting to help these. And it's young people. It's it's boys and girls. What to you, so the law then, you said that it is actually illegal in California to have exploratory therapy in which you look at the underlying issues. So what what are those therapists supposed to do? You have a, you know, 14-year-old, 13, 15, whatever, year old girl go in there. She says that she believes she's, non-binary or trans or whatever, because there's a whole long list of genders now. And the therapist is supposed to do what? So now, and it's funny, this term affirm is used so often. I hadn't even heard of that word before I went on disability just a couple of years ago. But okay. now you have to affirm the person, meaning you're not supposed to ask questions and you need to automatically use the chosen pronouns and the chosen name and get the family on board with that. And if you don't do that, the common narrative is that you are now putting this person at risk for suicide if right. you don't affirm these things because you're you as an outsider are basically fracturing their sense of self by not affirming what's what they believe is an internal innate characteristic. Okay. Um, so let's talk about with pronouns that. for a second. I'm so anti-pronouns because pronouns, I was an English teacher and pronouns don't have any, any meaning in and of themselves. Verbs have meaning. <laughs> Nouns have meaning. Uh, but pronouns are never the subject or the or the action of a sentence. They're, they're just like articles. They're actually meaningless. So, my my confusion with that is how do you affirm something that you know is a lie? How 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 does a, a therapist do that? You're sitting across a biological female and she's saying, I don't want to be either a boy or a girl or I'm trans or whatever else. You're just supposed to say, yes, yes, yes. You're a they. I mean. I, I honestly, because I wasn't in the field when all this really became pervasive, and then I was only working a few months and then left, I honestly don't know what it's really like to do that in the work. When I was working with all those teens with the different pronouns, different identities, what I did was I just kind of came at them sideways. So I didn't affirm them, but nor did I confront them. I never said, like, you're not a, a boy. Right. Because that, that would just turn them against me. But I also never acknowledged the pronouns. I I usually would talk to them about the other issues that were going on and 
kind of confront them about how they were avoiding things in their life or what it was getting them, you know, like that they were able to call all these people transphobes and, you know, how that might be beneficial at times. And they would kind of chuckle at me and admit it and think, things of that sort. So I would just kind of work with them, you know, sideways because I just, I work with teens for so long that I just kind of talk to them like teenagers. Right. Um, yeah. So your suggestion then is if you have someone come to you or let's say someone comes to our ministry and is struggling with their gender, um, what's your advice? There's lots of moms. There's lots of moms. There's youth leaders. There's pastors out there listening who are thinking, how do I help these kids and how do I address this issue in a very loving way but at the same time not affirm a lie that this person's believing because people walk into therapy office all the time believing lies exactly I mean that's what and they're I mean when they go to therapy it means they're going they're having some kind of problems that something's not working out for them right so if someone's going to therapy you're not, the therapist isn't there to just tell you everything that you say is right and, and leave it there. Right. Like what's the point? Right. <laughs> the, the point of therapy is to work through issues and fig, and figure out together what's, what's not working in their life and sure. help them, right. Like help them make better choices and such. Right. Um, so what's my advice? I mean, it's, it's obviously not an easy answer. My first line of advice is to look at the, if we're talking about children, even adults, but really young people, look at their social media and online usage. And if you are, if you are a parent and you have the ability, like the authority over a young, your child, then take the social media away or limit mm-hmm. the social media significantly because that in itself will make a huge difference because a lot of this is coming from online. Sure. So that's my that's one set of advice. The other set of advice is to look at what are the what are the influences aside from online. And so looking at if what school the child's going to, what's happening at school, do some investigation. What are what adults are maybe influencing this? Find out if there are secrets being kept at school between the parent and the child or a school counselor or a school nurse, somebody like that. Mm-hmm. So it it now the parent has to be kind of like a detective and find out who might be uh, planting all these seeds into your child's mind. Um, some schools even have these like secret transition closets where they have extra clo- sets of clothing so that the child can secretly go in with one set of clothing and change their clothes and then go home with the, the clothes that they went in with so that the parents don't know. I mean, this is horribly damaging in so many ways. And uh, this is happening. So these are the things to look out for. Um, Wow. That's unbelievable. It is. It's terrible. And it seems like the approach to me is outside in. Let's change your clothes as if that's going to make you feel better about your identity. Let's change your pronouns as if that's going to make you feel better about who you are. But your identity is not in your clothes. It's not in your pronouns. It's in your gifts and your talents and your purpose that you have in the world. At least that's the way that I think of it. How do you, how do you teach? What is your thoughts on that? How do you teach identity? Like, how do you help a young person find their identity that is not external like that? 
Yeah, you know, I actually think this whole identity talk it, itself is damaging because I think it's creating this just circle of kind of narcissism. It's just like if you're mm. focusing on yourself so much, you're already sure. I I don't think they need extra help to focus on themselves and focus on their identity because they're teenagers and that's what they do naturally. And that's, that's part of their development. And so I, I think it actually could do a service to not sit there and just keep zeroing in on their identity because I think that's what makes them like, I don't know what the best word is, but sort of neurotic, you know, just, just like always thinking about it, right? Like right. self, like obsessing. A lot right. of people who who have come out of the transgender will say that they had kind of an obsession with it. And, and I think we're reinforcing that. And I don't think that's helpful to young people. Yeah, that's such a good point. Uh, one of the best ways that I recovered from my eating disorder was starting to serve hurting yeah. girls. <laughs> I just got my focus off myself and I just decided to use my gifts and talents to bless and help other people rather than to think about how I looked in the mirror. And that's what I see when it comes to Instagram and all of this. You've got the obsession with the self image, with the image of yourself. You've got this idea that when you create a, pro, a profile, they want to know your pronouns as if that's the most important thing about you. But it actually has nothing to do with who you are. I would never bring up your pronouns at your, you know, birthday party or funeral because they don't say anything about you. Yeah. Um, but I love what you just said is helping them to get the focus off themselves and on others, on their purpose, on their gifts, on their talents, um, maybe on their relationship with God or on something else or relation, other relationships, things that truly bring fulfillment because being obsessed with yourself does not bring fulfillment. Yes, exactly. And then the other piece I think that's missing for people or young people of this generation and I'm very grateful I grew up when I grew up in, in the 80s is, you know, just getting them off screens and getting them outside and getting them just like kind of embodied with themselves. Yes. It, it goes a long way because when you're on the phone and you're, you kind of get in this trance state. And I think that's how they're able to believe that they're born in a wrong body or just that their body is wrong because they, mm -hmm. that's how they focus on that. But when you get them outside, you get them climbing on trees or outside on the grass, whatever, and with their friends not their friends who are transgender, but just their friends in general, um, then they're usually able to just stop obsessing about things and actually be more present, be in the moment, right? Childhood used to be about being in the moment. We didn't used to have to teach that to young people because they naturally did that. It was adults that would become stressed out about the bills and what's happening next. And, and we'd have to learn from the children how to be more in the moment and play and just have fun. And, right. and unfortunately, that's being lost in childhood today, too. So I think that I should agree. be encouraged. Mm -hmm. I so agree because I really saw the impact of 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 social media on on even family relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, if one person was for Biden and one for Trump or one was for masks and the other one was for no masks. The other one was for BLM, BLM against, you know, against BLM, not not supportive of the violence, maybe. Right. Not I mean, obviously supportive of, of blacks and people of all color, all colors, but not supportive of the violence of the movement. You know, it didn't matter if people who were being brainwashed by social media filtered their image of you through what they saw on social media. They decided you were um 
you know, a heathen, right? (laughs) I've experienced that personally, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. Probably most of us have. Yeah. Adults and children. Um, You think about the selfie too, like, um, like that self that obsession with like getting the right picture, you know, you see the girls like, you know, doing like the duck face and whatever, like just really trying to get that perfect selfie. And, and you're talking about developing girls where, you know, it really impacts them. I think it really has impacted them psychologically. And then the other piece too, I think that's impacted girls throughout this pandemic is the mask wearing and then taking them off or not taking them off because now they're even more self-conscious about their looks and what, you know, who they are because they've been able to hide behind a mask. And I think Mm -hmm. that has had an impact on the development. So yeah, there's so many elements to it. Yeah, I I so agree with that. We chose not to mask ourselves or our children. Um, but I knew and saw and I saw today, you know, somebody at the store still wearing a mask. And I've seen that very, very thing where the person feels very insecure to take it off. And when they're in those developing years, um, it's so difficult. And of course, being in California, where the law mandated it a lot more so than it did out here in Texas. In Texas, we were able to pretty much freely choose for ourselves, depending on the location. But um, but the children had a lot less time having to wear a mask at school in Texas. I'm so jealous. Yeah, I and used, we I never made them wear it. Yeah, I never I never made my son wear a mask in public at church anywhere else. He did wear a gaiter to school. Um, but I saw a marked difference um between his experience and the experience of children that that were masked. And I think it's a really good point that it makes them even more secure to be seen. So I want to wrap up this conversation. Um, We're going to get really deep into gender affirming care in the next one. I really want to make sure that my audience understands how this concept of gender affirming, which I call it gender negating, but (laughs) gender affirming or negating care actually works and what exactly is happening to the kids. But before we do that, I want to address the issue of groupthink. With your experience as a therapist and what you have seen, um, you know, this demonization of people who speak up, people like you and me, okay, who speak up against gender affirming care. We are being called, right, transphobes. You said that you had kids come into your therapy room calling people transphobes. Where is that coming from? Because I don't have a fear of transgender people. I, I, <laughs> I, was, I was raised in the modeling industry. I was around gay, transgender people all the time. I have no fear of them whatsoever. Why, why is that? What is, what is happening? What is happening to these kids that they begin to believe the lie that other people are transphobes because they're questioning the therapy model? Yeah, I mean, I think there's this really nefarious top-down messaging that's being given to all of us, and some of us are able to see through it, and some of us aren't. Um, I think maybe for me, I I would hope I would have been able to see through it the whole time, but it was even easier for me to see through it because I was kind of isolated from that whole 
disability situation for sure. those few years. So I wasn't in the group think. So it was extra shocking for me. I kind of called myself Rip Van Therapist because like Rip Van Winkle, because I was sort of asleep and then came back to all these people that were in this group think scenario. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's very pervasive. I mean, it's now, I started talking about this about a year ago, a little more than a year ago now. And the climate has really changed since then to the point where it is everywhere. It is everywhere you look. It is in, It is seeped in everything you see and look at. I mean, you can't even go to the grocery store without seeing like these like pink and blue flags. Most people didn't even know what the pink, blue and white flags even represented maybe a year or two ago. I mean, now everyone does. It's right. just because it's everywhere. Um, it's on every TV show. If you turn on a Netflix show, almost every show is going to have some theme of transgender. I was just watching a show. It didn't even have the theme, but there was just a scene where they were in Paris and there was a transgender flag flying in the background in the scene. It's just there, you know, it's just part of life now, like right. everywhere. So I think that's really brought on this group think. I also believe that it's come on because the people who did originally speak out against it were weeded out. Um, you mentioned offline, we talked about the book Irreversible Damages by Abigail Schreier. And mm -hmm. in there, she has a chapter where she talks about the therapists and uh, academia academics that had spoken out against it, just speaking more common sense about how we just need to work with people and figure out what's really going on for them, that they were immediately canceled and fired and taken, all their credentials were taken away mm -hmm. and they were made examples of. So I think that's how everything's been captured so easily is that there's a lot of fear. And then now I think the people that are left are the people that aren't asking enough questions and they are now in this group think. Mm. That's what I think yeah. has happened. It's 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 so damaging. And I don't I don't think a lot of people realize that this is a mind control tactic. There's it's the same, it's on Lipton's criteria for mind control, which I taught about uh one of the criteria for mind control on a previous episode. And I'm gonna be teaching about this, but it's called the dispensation of existence. And basically, it means that if you do not agree with the group think, then they will dispense of your existence. They will cancel you, fire you. Um, you know, Facebook will take your take your social media down. People will blackball you, all of that. And I mean, that's happened to Dr. Peter McCullough on the yeah. right on the COVID thing and mm -hmm. and lots of people who are simply concerned <laughs> about the wisdom of this affirmation model. So I am so grateful that you came on the show today. You guys, I want you to follow the truthful therapist. I love your name, by the way. That's so good. I really want you to follow the truthful therapist on Instagram. And also you have a, you have a movie coming out. Can you tell my listeners really quick about this? Yeah. So we're, we actually have trouble scheduling this because I'm actually headed off to Arizona for a premiere for this film called Cut. Daughters of the West. It's by a Canadian filmmaker named Simon Esler. And he put together a film where I'm featured. And it it connects the idea that plastic surgery and the media and the over-sexualization of girls and women has had a large impact on this explosion of the transgender mm -hmm. craze. 
So that's the theme of the film. That's and it will, it, it will it. be on Vimeo uh, after April 15th. Okay. Okay. So by the time this airs, it'll be out. And we have the link for you guys in the show notes. I cannot wait to see the film. This is the same line of what our ministry has been been exposing for so many years. And I think I I would just like to finish uh, this conversation. I like to ask my guests, what is a woman? What do you think, uh, Pamela, is the role of women right now of mothers right now in this culture wow that's broad well what is a woman i mean i saw the matt walsh film (laughs) it was good um so we know it's an adult female human um what is that simple (laughs) yeah it what was in the, the dictionary that way, you know, adult female human being, really simple. They've changed it now. Yes, um, they've changed the dictionary. That's part of the group think. Yeah, that's part of the group think. That's part yeah. of the whole like Orwellian world we're living in. Is yes. they're changing language? That's what tyranny looks like. Um, what what is the role of a woman? I mean, that's hard to answer because I mean I think different women take different roles, but mm-hmm. I think in general women do have the role to take care of children, take care of the weak. I mean, we do have that tendency to be the nurturing ones and be the ones to look out for the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, I think men have a role in that too, but just in a different way. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. And I, I believe we are not oppressed and I believe that we have a voice and I believe we can use that voice and use it for good. I, I agree with you 100%. We are to speak up on behalf of the vulnerable. And as women in this nation right now, we have to use our voice to protect these kids. We're going to be talking about what exactly we are protecting them from on the concept of gender affirming care in the next episode. So please stay tuned and be with us next week. And Pamela, I am so grateful that you came on the show and I'm so proud of you. I want you guys all to follow her on Instagram because you will, and her her link is in the show notes, because you're going to see a truthful therapist (laughs) who is telling the truth about mental health and teens and what is a healthy model to care for them the best that we can. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Pamela. 